Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And we would love for you to take some time over the next several weeks of listening uh, and send us in your questions for our last Q&A podcast that will happen in December. Uh, so make sure that you send those questions into infogrove.church or you can direct message our Facebook page, The Grove Church here in Marysville in Snohomish, Washington. We'd love for you to do that. We love look forward to those questions and answering them uh, almost on a monthly basis. I, almost exactly on a monthly basis, really. If you well, I said we look forward to them. So oh, I guess that's true. I think there was one time where I was like, eh, I don't really want to answer questions today. That's fair. <laughs> Just one, total transparency. Once in a while, we get a little bit I like busy. to be honest sometimes. So. Uh, but and with, if you can't tell, Evan's kind of sick still. Um, his voice is a little bit different, uh, but he's going to power through. He's yeah. such a trooper. At this point... Um, you're just used to hearing me sick because I think it's been like four. This is your normal now. voice now. So this is just this the, is just your normal. Voice. This is my life. <laughs> now so. we're gonna when you're healthy, we're gonna be like, is Evan sick? Because um, we're gonna be used to this voice. So. Awful. Is that my voice? What movie? <laughs> anyway, um, is that my voice? That's, Emperor's New Groove. That's what it is. Isma. I love as that. a cat. I love Anyways. that movie. Anyway, just, that's what we're talking about. Lord today. of the Rings reference. Um, with that being said, we're going to jump into the book of Ezekiel uh, this week. The most famous passage, I would argue, in Ezekiel is the Valley of the Dry Bones. So we're mm-hmm. going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but I'm actually going to talk about uh, the passage of Scripture immediately following the Valley of the Dry Bones is where we're going to read. Um, but I do want to set the stage. Tricky. I know. That's how I roll. Um, so uh, Ezekiel receives a vision and he finds himself in the midst of this valley of uh, bones and kind of what the picture that's painted is that there was a great battle um, that was fought there uh, long ago uh, and all of a sudden all the basically not corpses I guess because they're just like the bones of these soldiers lie scattered all throughout and God tells Ezekiel that he wants him to prophesy uh to the bones, which is on its face is kind of a really weird request, right? Because the bones aren't living. Uh, he's just kind of talking to the air. Uh, but Ezekiel obeys and he prophesies. And what he sees is that as he continues to obey God and prophesies that the bones begin to come to life. And so th- at first the bones just kind of come together. And then it talks about how all of a sudden they're given flesh and skin and all these different things. And they just come back to life as people. And God tells him that that is a, uh, that is what is going to happen with Israel, that um, even though it looks like they are completely defeated and it's over, he will bring them back to life. He will restore them. Um, and that's really the main um, the main theme of the end of Ezekiel. Like once you get past uh, into like the back third of Ezekiel, um, the theme of it really is that God will be restoring his people. Mm-hmm. And so it's on – in keeping with that theme, I wanted to read um, Ezekiel 37 verses 21 through 28, which is uh, a little bit later, but it's as – right after the dry bones uh, vision, Ezekiel uh, is told by God something else. And he says this – God says this in verse 21. Then say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and they, and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel. And one King shall be King over all of them. And they shall no longer be two nations, no longer divided into, into two kingdoms. 
They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from the backslidings in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd, and they will walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived, and they they and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people." Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So it's a, it's just a really beautiful passage about the restoration of Israel. And a lot of that is actually fulfilled um, already in the sense of we do see Israel come back together. They mm-hmm. are kind of united kingdom. Even today, um, we can look at Israel and it, geographically, at least in a sense, it, it exists as one nation. Um, but what I love is the the use of the term, or at least the, uh, and this is a theme throughout a lot of the Bible, um, and it says, and I will basically, paraphrasing, I suppose, but they shall be my people, and I shall be their God. And that's kind of the promise of God to the people of Israel. It's that you will belong to me, you will be my chosen people, um, but also I will be your chosen God. And it echoes this really uh, beautiful passage. I think we actually opened up... um if you remember back to the first couple episodes that we did way back in January, <laughs> that we uh, we actually opened up with a passage of Revelation uh, in the first few weeks there. Um, and it says this, I just want to repeat it because it's kind of, I think, a really cool bookend to, to this promise that God makes. Um, and so this is John, and he's speaking of a vision that he's receiving after um, basically the apocalypse has happened. Uh, this is the aftermath of that. This is what happens when Christ returns. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw in the holy, I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. I just want to remind us all today that I think it's really powerful to remember that um, the promise of God to Israel in that moment actually extends to us today, and it really is this promise of relationship. Like the, the and I think sometimes we can get. Um, the message a little bit jumbled up and particularly I think in American Christianity where it's just kind of like, and I mean, that's just the context that we're in. So I just know kind of like the, the natural temptations of it. Um, but we can think that the promise of God is maybe, you know, prosperity here in this life or, you know, this thing is going to happen and we can't Mm -hmm. go through it. But really what it is, is it's saying, um, you will be my people and I will be your God. And it's just a beautiful thing that I think we, it behooves us, I guess, if you will, for us to remember. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to continue reading uh, this week in First Timothy, uh, kind of wrapping up this uh, book and then also jumping to Second Timothy. Uh, Evan will highlight that one. But uh, I just want to take a moment and highlight chapter three, uh, a couple of verses for us, uh, because it's kind of a peculiar uh, moment Paul takes in this book. Uh, three chapters in, I know he didn't write in chapters. We broke it down in chapters, so it'd be easier, uh, to, to translate and things like that. But, um, by we, he doesn't mean me and 
No, I do <laughs> mean me. Me and, me and Evan did. No, uh, we as in modern world culture. Um, but Paul takes a, a moment halfway through this letter that he's writing to Timothy uh, in the first letter he wrote, uh, and just to kind of explain his purpose for writing this book, uh, and then in turn it reveals it's the central focus, so to speak, um, and this whole idea of how one ought to behave uh, in the church is is kind of that appropriate summarization uh, of the uh, kind of instructions, how we ought to behave in the church, uh, as the church, uh, and also he says it's Timothy, and then it carries this warning against false teachers. Um, and the central focus to this idea of how we ought to behave hinges on uh, these verses here. And so I'm just going to read them real quick uh, and then share a couple of thoughts because I think it's, it's just important to remember um, this part of it. So it says this, I am writing these things to you now. This is Paul writing to Timothy and to you and I today. It's even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how my people or how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. Uh, this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Uh, verse 16 says, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. And the mystery he's referring to is the entirety of the gospel, the entirety of salvation as God has ordained and created it to be. Uh, and it says this, that Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. Uh, that's that's the purpose of Paul writing. That ends chapter three. Uh, but he takes a moment to highlight this because um, this the statement that I read today, which is so true, and I like kind of boiling things down into simple statements, um, but it's it's so true and powerful uh, when it comes to how we ought to behave. Uh, it just says this, that true doctrine leads to right living. Um, and when we understand uh, Christ, when we understand his role, we understand that he is the source, the mystery of our faith, the entirety of the gospel of salvation um, this changes the way we live our lives. This is how we, we behave oftentimes rooted and based upon our circumstance. But I think what Paul is doing with Timothy, because there are, uh, he is a young pastor. He is someone that uh, Paul believes in. He, Timothy is called Paul's spiritual son um, because Paul had a lot of investment in this man, Timothy. Uh, he left him at the church of Ephesus to lead this church. Uh, but he just makes a statement to remind uh, the members of the church, the groups in the church that Timothy is leading, uh, as well as Timothy himself. Uh, and it kind of also prevents or recalibrates uh, truth against false doctrine from false teachers in the context of First Timothy. Um, but the foundational truth is, is Christ. Christ is who he says he is. He did what he said he'd do. He, wrote, he died and rose again. Uh, he is the foundation. And then when we live according with that doctrine and understanding and truth in mind, it will change the way we live our lives. We ask these questions all the time. I mean, we live in a world where it's about behavior. Like, how do we behave? How do we behave? How do we behave? Um, and I think Paul addresses that as, as a church. This is the purpose of writing in 1 Timothy. How we behave depends on what we actually believe. True doctrine leads to right living. And we have to remember, it's so easy to forget who Christ was and what he did. Um, but it's just an interesting point in the middle of Paul's writing of this letter. He takes a sidebar almost to remind the focus and the purpose. This is why I'm writing so that you will remember true doctrine about who Jesus is. So it'll change the way you live your life. So. Yeah, I think that's great. It kind of leads into the second Timothy passage that I wanted to highlight. We did um, this on purpose, folks. Yeah, you know, you know, it's almost like we planned it. Um, but no, in Second Timothy, I think one of the uh, 
the sec I would guess like the second most famous three sixteen in the Bible. So after John three sixteen, uh, if you're in the church world, if you're listening and you're not in church, you have no clue what we're talking about. That's okay. I feel like you still thanks know for listening. John three sixteen. Yes, but they don't know about the second most famous. Oh, that's definitely true. So, anyways, in Second Timothy, uh, for chapter thirteen, I'm going to read fourteen through seventeen, just to kind of give some better context here. But it says this. Um, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So remember, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, who at this point, uh, Paul is at the end of his life. He kind of knows that this is coming, and Timothy um, is a pastor in Ephesus at this point. Uh, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which were which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about this um, as, as far as like, you know, as Christians, what do we um, believe about the Bible. And this verse here is kind of where we get this idea um, that Scripture comes from God. Now, this isn't the only place we get the idea. It's heavily inferred in other places in Scripture. Um, but certainly, uh, we have the books that were considered to be the Old Testament at the time of Jesus. Those were pretty settled um, as far as what books make up um, the scripture up to that point. What can often be uh, talked about, though, is how the scripture of the New Testament wasn't settled. Because obviously, when Jesus is walking on the earth, uh, not a single sentence of the New Testament had been written yet. Um, that comes later. The earliest things that we have written come about um, between five to ten years is when they're often dated after after Jesus's uh, crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, the latest ones would be like you know Revelation, which is written by John. Um, I think in the nineties, so pretty pretty late is the nineteen nineties. Wow, the nineteen nineties. Wow, I was still so a child. I was just born. Um, but no, um, th- that's kind of like the the dates that we're working with. Um, but what we get in this passage of scripture and a couple other passages of scripture that I want to highlight today is this idea that some of the New Testament writers understood that some of the things that they were writing and some of the things that other people were writing uh, were scripture. And there is this kind of interesting um, delineation between the two. I think one of the really obvious examples is um, the letters of Paul to the Corinthians, because there's actually four letters, I believe, that Paul writes to the Corinthians. Um, but we only have two of them, and we only consider two of them to be Scripture. But there's one letter that he writes, um, I believe, before 1 Corinthians. I don't remember too much about that one. Um, I know there's – but there's a third letter that he writes that is referenced all the time in 2 Corinthians that he's kind of like apologizing for. So um, – but yeah, I, I think that sometimes we can get this idea of like, as far as inspiration of scripture comes, like, what, what does that even mean? Um, and so, you know, we don't believe that everything that the Apostle Paul or uh, Peter wrote down or said was inspired. Uh, we really only believe that about Jesus. Uh, but what we do believe is the Holy Spirit worked in these in these people's lives so that um, at certain points, the Holy Spirit used them in order to create scripture. So I, w- I would say simply this, just to interrupt, um, provide clarity when you say not everything the Apostle Paul wrote, we believe, is inspired. Because that could be a side statement that might send someone in a tailspin. Oh, sure. Like, so if it's – the we do believe that the, the canonical things in the Bible that Paul wrote are scripture. Um, what I mean by that is, I guess, let's say um, – archaeologists tomorrow uncover Paul had written a letter um, 
to Titus, another letter to Titus that it happened. Well, we wouldn't automatically say that scripture. Um, so that, that that's kind of what I mean by yeah, that. So it's perfect. not that everything that they said, everything they did in life um, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's saying that we believe that um, what we have the in the Bible, books of the yeah, Bible, what we have in the Bible right now yeah. is the inspired word of yeah. God. So no, good, good. Yeah. Good point to, to bring up there. Um, so in first Timothy chapter five, verse 18, and these are kind of just a couple of verses I want to bring up because they're interesting. Uh, it says this, For Scripture says that you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So that may not sound very interesting on the face of it. Uh, what is interesting about that, though, is that <coughs> the very front of it says, For the Scripture says. So what Paul is saying is that these things that I'm about to say are Scripture. Um, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain is a quotation from Deuteronomy. Um, I didn't write down exactly where it's from, but it's in Deuteronomy. And uh, the laborer deserves his wages is actually a direct quotation from Luke and Matthew. Um, it's a story that Jesus tells in both of those books. So whether Paul is getting that from um, the actual books of Luke and Matthew, or if there's another source, which is kind of put forward as maybe there's like a recording source of um, – uh, the sayings of Jesus that then makes it into Luke and Matthew that they're using as a reference, w- w- kind of whichever way you land on that one. Um, what Paul is saying is that these things are scripture. This saying of Jesus is also a scripture mm-hmm. and it's, it's in the new Testament, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the other one is second Peter uh, chapter three, verses 15 through 16. And it says this and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother, Paul, this is Peter writing, keep in mind uh, also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him as he does in all of his letters. When he speaks on these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which ignorant and which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. So first off, I love the fact um, that Peter is acknowledging that Paul is hard to read. And so it's kind of like really subtle dig, uh, but, but I'm digging it because he's like, yeah, you've read the scripture of Paul. You know, that stuff is crazy. Um, But he does end it with this idea of, um, as they do to other scripture. And so what he's acknowledging is that you can take scripture, you can rip it out of its context, you can twist it to mean different mm-hmm. things that it's not supposed to so mean. Um, and so Peter's warning them about that. But again, he's referencing that Paul is scripture. So in First Timothy, Paul kind of has this understanding that what Luke is writing, because most likely that's what he's talking about when he's referencing the laborer deserves his wages. Um, he's recognizing that his friend Luke, that what he is doing right now when he's writing um, Luke and Acts is an, is an act of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, and then Peter's also recognizing that these letters of Paul that are being circulated around are also divinely inspired. So it's just kind of this cool, because um, oftentimes, I don't know, maybe none, you're not like me, but like I always think of when it comes to the inspiration of scripture, um, well, how do we know like the New Testament? Because obviously the Old Testament is kind of settled when they're all talking about scripture. Um, but those are a couple of verses where uh, you have New Testament authors acknowledging other New Testament writings as being scripture. Yeah, I think it's, and it's such a fun, because even taking a, a quick side note, like it's normally we spend time talking about the scripture in the context or whatever, but sometimes it's always good to to take a different angle and help us understand the validity and the depth of scripture and the compliment that um, even the New Testament provides for one one another in these writings. So I think it's such a great and unique opportunity there. So I uh, loved it. Uh, we're also uh, just a, one of the, one of my last highlights today uh, will be in the book of Titus, which is another letter written by Paul uh, to a guy named Titus who was a coworker of his. 
Uh, in other words, it's just another co-laborer that he uh, is is working with to, to further the kingdom uh, and the message of the gospel. Uh, Titer is the pastor or and the leader of the church in Crete. Um, and in Crete, there was this crazy false teaching uh, that was just happening. People were just, and false teachings is literally, it talks about Jesus is not the way he's, um, that it's, it's kind of crazy or people would take a spin off of it and say, yeah, Jesus is the way. And this is what he told me. And they just, it just becomes not true. It takes the message of Jesus and goes a sidebar with it, or it, the, the teachings are trying to discredit Christ as the Messiah. Uh, and so Paul is writing to an audience writing to Titus uh, and encouraging him, uh, supporting him, challenging him to live with the truth in mind. Um, and so that this idea he hits in these uh, three chapters of Titus is the along the lines of faith and practice or belief and behavior, um, especially in the face and landscape of false teaching. And so uh, Titus chapter two, I think, is really, really uh uh, applicable to us today, because I, I put it this way, that I think it's um, belief and behavior for the everyday follower of Christ. That's how I would kind of break down chapter two. Uh, and so I just want to read this real quick. Uh, it's 15 verses, uh, and then I'll uh, probably share a thought and then hand it over to Evan to do the last highlight today. Uh, but it says this, Titus chapter two, it says, but you, again, Paul writing to, to Titus, are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of the good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God, our Savior, and everything. Quick side note real quick. The context of slavery is vastly different in scripture than it is in the context we understand slavery. We talked about this, uh, I would say, weeks ago in a podcast. I don't remember if it was a Q&A podcast or if it was an actual uh, Bible talk episode, but just be mindful of that. When we read slavery, it's different in context and different in practice than how we understand it in our American world. Back in verse 10 says, oh no, verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Now, Paul is obviously writing to Titus, and some of that portion at the end of it was directly to Titus as a church leader uh, and even an influential leader in Crete, but I think it's also applicable to us today. But I love the breakdown in regards to older men and to younger men and to older women and younger women. And it's easy to say, okay, these are some of the practices and behaviors, but really it's the idea of the idea of sound teaching. These aspects of being an older gentleman with being self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith and love and endurance, these are products, go back to even what I said earlier, it's 
products of true doctrine. It's products of tr- understanding truth so we can live righteously. And Paul um, Paul breaks it down to Titus. This is what it looks like. Uh, if a woman is, is an older woman and she's uh, to be righteous, it's reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. Teach what is good so you can encourage young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. I think it's such uh, an incredible challenge to you and I, whether you're a male or a female listening to this, that is my life measured up to this standard? Because according to Paul and Titus and scripture, if we live in truth, we we should be able to check these off our list. We should be able to say, man, yeah, as, as an older man, well, I guess I can say I'm older now, like, am I self-controlled? Am I worthy of respect? Am I sensible? Am I sound in faith and love and endurance? Uh, am I teaching and training up younger men to, to be uh, righteous and, and have integrity and and to live as God would have them to uh, have them live. So um, I just think that this is such a, an accurate picture. And it's easy to glance over this. I mean, I remember in my readings, I would glance over and just kind of read through and, okay, get done, move on. Um, but this is Paul, Titus literally challenging, or this is Paul challenging Titus and us today. Are we living with sound doctrine in mind? There you go. Uh, the last thing that we want to talk about today as we wrap up uh, is Psalm 36. Um, and so we're reading, I think we're reading a Psalm every day this yep. week. So there you go. Uh, so as I was looking through, and this is just kind of the one that stuck out. So I'm going to read it and we'll just talk about it for a little bit. Uh, this won't be a super long section. Uh, but in verse one, it says this transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. He plots trouble while on his bed, and he sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgment are like the great, are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They fear, they feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we do see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There, there the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. So it's just kind of an interesting psalm because when I was reading it, there's just kind of a, a, a dichotomy that happens in the psalm. And it's really, it's a big word. It's, a big word. it's you know, a division uh, that happens in the psalm um, because the first four verses are just talking about the wicked, like what wicked people are like. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when the psalmist is talking about wicked, he's basically just saying like people who do not serve the Lord, that they're out there for their own thing. Um, but it immediately just jumps into this praising of God and his steadfast love. And so it says he, you know, verse four is he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven. Like it just kind of like jumps right into the other thing. And so I think it's an important thing to remember because there are some sections in the, in the, um, on the verse of the wicked that I think can be convicting for us if we just kind of like look at it. Cause it says, um, 
you know, for instance, he flowers himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Or in other words, you know, this person is is secretly committing sin. It's not like open sin. Um, and it's saying that he's presenting kind of his best self forward. He's not um, confessing to others. He's not living his life in a way that he's pursuing um, righteousness through God, but rather um, he flatters himself with the idea that he cannot be found out. Uh, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. It's kind of showing all these different things. Um but then it jumps into this idea that the steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds. And it even says that you save both man and beast. And I think it's kind of an important reminder for us today that even in the midst of um, being wicked, I suppose, if you will, or running from God, being sinful, um, God's steadfast love still extends to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's able to save man and beast. It's able to save all those things. And it's not, the Psalm doesn't end with this idea that everyone is going to be saved. Cause if you look at the very end, you know, it says they eat, they're the evildoers life fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. So there is this kind of idea that there are people who just fully reject God. Um, and they're, you know, they're given away, but yeah. at the end of the day, God's steadfast love extends to, to all of us. And I think it's just a really important reminder. Um, and that's kind of where we're going to wrap it up today. Yeah. Put a bow on it. Put a bow on it. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, I guess this was dropped after Thanksgiving. Dang it. Oh, Aaron. You just, just you revealed, revealed into the curtain. We're recording this on Tuesday. Because we want to be home with our families for Thanksgiving. That's so accurate. happy Thanksgiving. We love you all. Wow. Well... <laughs> We are a podcast of the Grove Church, but not the only podcast of the Grove Church. Uh, You can find all of our other resources and podcasts that we offer on our website at grove.church. And then just do us a favor, whatever uh, device you're listening on, just leave us a review. Uh, It helps to grow the podcast, get it out there to more people, and we can continue to grow this community of people reading the Bible together. Um, With that being said, we'll see you all next week.